What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golliver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael Pina of SB Nation. Michael, 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 welcome to Zion Palooza. We are recording this on Thursday, uh, not to, you know, not even 24 hours after Zion Williamson made his much-anticipated debut for the New Orleans Pelicans after basically missing three months following surgery to repair uh, a meniscus tear in his right knee. Now, Zion did not completely shut the world down, but he had an incredible fourth quarter stretch that helped him finish with 22 points, seven rebounds, and three assists. He did have five turnovers uh, on eight of 11 shooting in 18 minutes. The biggest surprise of all, of course, he went four for four from behind the three-point line, and that, uh, you know, almost like Jordan-esque shrug type performance, you know, out of nowhere, uh, brought down MVP chance uh, from the Smoothie King Center in New Orleans. The home crowd just eating it up and realizing they finally got to see a flash of what they were all ex- so excited about when they won the uh, the rights to the lottery number one pick last year, and then obviously when they selected him in June. So, Michael, it was, uh, I think, must-see TV. It was a very slow start from Zion, passive throughout really the first three quarters. He turned it on there in the fourth quarter, with that electric stretch that I'm describing, but then they shut him down due to a minutes limit for crunch time, and the Pelicans wind up losing 121-117 to the San Antonio Spurs. So there are just layers upon layers upon layers to dissect here, and I'm going to start with the uh, the easiest question probably. What's your grade for Zion's debut? I need that letter grade from you, okay? You're the teacher. Bring out your red pen. What's your grade and why? I'm giving him an A-. minus. And wow, wow! Yeah, was that is that too strict? Is that too lenient? What you, what, what is the what is the reaction there? Well, I'm just you know, are we gonna we're giving out A's for three <laughs> minutes now? I guess is that what we're doing? <laughs> I actually I started with a B and I kind of worked my way up throughout the day actually, but I'm gonna start with the bad here. Um, his first three quarters were objectively forgetful. I mean, there weren't any spectacular dunks. His first bucket was on a putback layup. He was fumbling around the court, uh, turning the ball over, making really bad decisions. On on one play as the roll man, he caught a pass, and instead of, you know, stopping and surveying the four-on-three situation, he uh, tries to jump. He leaves his feet and and tries to dump off uh, the ball to Derek Favors, commits a charge when Alexander Walker was wide open in the corner. So there was just like rookie mistakes that are perfectly understandable, but nonetheless, he made them. So I can't, I have to mark him down for that, I guess. And, and just like the way he was moving throughout the game, I don't know if this looked the way it did on TV as it did in person, but he was just like trotting up and down the court. Like there was no dead sprint like maybe he I think he might have broken into a dead sprint maybe once or twice in the entire game which was a little disappointing um and it just there wasn't the 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 type of explosiveness and athleticism that I, I personally expected uh but then you know we get into the fourth quarter and uh I mean incredible like the 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 going four for four from behind the three-point line in our last episode I said that uh him being willing to shoot outside shots was kind of a big question mark for me and in what setting and in what format he would do it. And, you know, the Spurs basically begged him to shoot those threes. They were in a zone for most of them. Uh, The Pelicans were playing him at the five. 
uh, and you know he had a big on him, and he was letting them fly, and that was awesome to see the fact that they went in and he was shooting them with confidence. Uh, I, I also want to quickly say uh, in the first few stints that he had, I, I noticed that like the Spurs were treating him like a megastar already. Like he had one post up where uh, he had LaMarcus Aldridge on him and Patty Mills dug uh, to help off of Josh Hart. Like, Zion was 1994 Hakeem Olajuwon. Like, it was it was just kind of bizarre to see instead of just letting him play straight up. And Pop, uh, you know, there's these things that I like to call Steph stoppages, which are timeouts that Greg Popovich calls when he wants to prevent an opponent from getting into a rhythm or, or stopping the crowd from frothing at the mouth. And Pop used those timeouts, like the Steph stoppages, for lack of a better phrase, because he uses them against Steph Curry uh, when Steph Curry gets hot. You know, the first assist that Zion had, uh, he called timeout. And then there was this other play where uh, Zion caught a rebound and pushed in, in the open floor and found, I believe, Etwan Moore for a layup. Pop called a timeout. So it was like a superstar treatment, and it was, which was kind of bizarre. But the respect level was there. They clearly feared him. They clearly respected him. And uh, I'm going with an A-. minus. Well, first of all, you said for lack of a better phrase, Michael, there is no better phrase. That's a great phrase, Steph Stoppages. I love it. There's alliteration. It's a, you know, it's uh, a very accurate and uh, obvious and easy to understand uh, nickname. <laughs> I might be stealing that one. You should be very proud of uh, your coining ability there. I wonder if some of the extra attention that you're describing, especially early, was partially respect but partially uh, an idea of forcing turnovers of you know getting him to make bad decisions he did have five turnovers on the night a couple of them were very sloppy and to me he looked fatigued he was dragging the leg like I think you were describing but also during even pregame warm-ups and and at the beginning of the quarters you know he was tugging on the shorts you know hands on his waist pretty regularly uh and you know that's natural I mean after being off that long uh, the Pelicans do want to kind of push the pace and, and try to get things going. He didn't really seem to me like he settled into the rhythm or really you know found his pace until that fourth quarter um, because in part because of the minutes limit. I mean, he was only playing four-minute stints. It's really, really hard to kind of get up to speed and feel like you're in the game uh, in a four-minute time period, and then you're just immediately being pulled off the court. So uh, that's going to annoy him, I'm sure. And we did hear a little bit of annoyance from him in his post-game comments about how he wanted to close the game. But I also just think like the way those rotations are staggering, it's just going to bother him because you know as soon as you're actually kind of catching your win, now it's time to go back to the bench. Um, in terms of them daring him to shoot, I love that they just stuck to it, right? Like Bobovich will go down with the ship sometimes, you know, when it comes to his strategies. It's like if the book says let him shoot, it doesn't matter if he hits five in a row, fine, we're just going to let him do it. And I really do think that if he had stayed in the game and stayed hot, like there just would have been no adjustment and he probably would have shot them to a victory in that game, which would have been, you know, maybe even a more remarkable story than, uh, you know, what did transpire before he uh, was shut down late. In terms of my grade, it is a tricky one um, because, you know, that three-minute stretch to me, that's like A++, right? I mean, that's arguably the most electrifying three minutes of the entire NBA season. I mean, you know, other than some Lakers, Clippers, you know, tense late-game moments, I think that's kind of the best basketball environment in terms of just sheer fun that I've been to this season. And I've been going to a lot of games, so that's like I'm not trying to – 
you know, say that, you know, not trying to diminish anything else. I just think that's how fun it was. I mean, the crowd really, really got into it, uh, super loud and his teammates were there for him. I mean, it was just kind of like a storybook moment there in the fourth quarter. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to discount the early struggles because some of those turnovers, I do think that they were fatigue induced, but they were pretty rough. Uh, his impact on the glass, uh, was a little bit slower to start. Um, obviously he bodied Yaka Pertl on that, you know, one famous defensive rebound everybody's been talking about. It was like a posterization of a rebound, <laughs> yeah. which you don't see very often. Uh, he had the nice finish in traffic too, but again, he was struggling with some of the, the length of defending him in the paint, which I think is going to be a recurring problem for him. And then he had moments where he's blowing by guys and showing that burst, but not anywhere near to the degree of what we saw in preseason where he was just like basically irrepressible, like you couldn't hold him back. So I probably lean more towards a, a B, B plus. I mean, maybe I would have gone a little higher if they had uh, won the game, but that's not necessarily his fault uh, because he was sitting and watching. But uh, all things considered, I think it might be a more memorable debut than like a pristine huge impact, huge numbers type of debut. Yeah, I think that that's all fair. I mean, contextually, it, just it being his the first start of his career, the attention that he had was, I mean, this was like the, I don't know what the ratings are or what there will be, but I would imagine that this was one of the more highly viewed regular season games in recent memory. I mean, the, just the focus all day long was on Zion Williamson and what he was going to do in his first game. So all that attention and uh, all that pressure, I, I, I kind of added that into why I gave him an A minus because the, you know, he's struggling for the first three quarters. He's a little bit fatigued, as we've mentioned. And then he comes out and he hits those four threes despite uh, the defense basically daring him to shoot. Uh, so that's that's just why I had to I had to edge higher than a B plus. So that was just very impressive to me. No, on the fun factor, it was an A plus. I mean, I don't worry so much about like the sustainability throughout a game if we're just talking sheer fun. Uh, I did hear one person from ESPN say that they were treating the game as if it was somewhere between the impeachment hearings and the moon landing, which I thought was a good line <laughs> <laughs> and also accurate because. All day long, it was just Zion, Zion highlights on loop on ESPN. You know, we were there at the practice facility uh, for shoot around on Wednesday morning, and like all, they obviously have the TVs tuned to ESPN in the building, and it's just like Zion, 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 Zion. You go out onto the court, and there he is. And you know, certainly he realized he was the center of attention. My second question for you, Michael, and I've got seven of these. Uh, my second question for you is, what was your real-time reaction during that fourth quarter three-minute outburst specifically? Because I was kind of in shock. I was reeling from the slow start to the game. I was getting dozens of people blaming me for jinxing Zion because I was there. And like every time I go to the game, something bad happens for him. So I was taking it very personally. And I was like concocting like, how who am I going to blame this on? To like kind of uh, shield Zion from the criticism and like the bus talk that I was worried was going to be coming today uh, after he started so slowly. And then that fourth quarter, my eyes just lit up. I mean, I could barely <laughs> even operate my phone to take like in in arena videos. I was transfixed. I mean, maybe brainwashed would be a better word in terms of, uh, you know, just my relationship to that moment of just, you know, kind of losing mental control. And it was, it was overwhelming. I'll be honest. Uh, what were you doing during that fourth quarter outburst? How were you responding? Ben. I have a confession. Are you uh -oh. ready for this? 
<laughs> one of the all-time great regrets of my life. Oh, uh, um, no. You went to bed early, <laughs> didn't you? I I fell asleep at halftime, and I am still, I can't even, but, but, like, I, I debated even admitting this to you and, and saying it publicly, but whatever uh yeah i fell asleep no, you're look you're off the hook you're an east coast guy you wake up at like six o'clock in the morning i mean you're practically like one of these people who does like two hours on the treadmill before sunrise you know you're one of those like crazy type a guys who gets all his work done before like 10 a.m yeah so i'm gonna let you <laughs> off the hook for that so but this makes it even better michael how bad did you feel about yourself when you woke up this morning and watched the fourth quarter so I get this email from you, and it has these seven questions, and one of them is, you know, what was your real-time reaction to his fourth quarter outburst? And I was just like, you, you just got to be kidding me. Like, I read that sentence seven times and then wanted to just go back to bed for the rest of my life. So that was devastating. Um, I, I After the, you know, the two hours on the treadmill, as you mentioned, um, I went and I, I sat down, I, I poured myself a cup of coffee, and I... I queued up the DVR, and I, I knew that it was something magical that happened. I did not know uh, I was able to hide myself from who actually won the game and what exactly he did. So I did not know about the four threes. I did not know that he was benched at the end. I did not know any of that. So I still went in blind, relatively speaking, but I, I, I had a hint that something awesome was going to happen. So when I did actually get to watch it, I still was like... Like, by the third three, I was expecting that to miss. The fourth three, I expected that to miss. Like, I didn't... It, it was still surreal to actually watch, even though I knew something was big was going on in the moment. And then, you know, looking at the box score after, it's just like 22 points in... in, in like, how did this dude do... After watching the first half, when he was just, like, waltzing around the court, trotting up and down, like, for him to do that in the second half, that's basically why I had to adjust from the, the B to the A-. minus. I'm glad you you asked that question. How did he do this? I think for all the basketball coaches out there, all the basketball players out there that listen to this, it's an incredible, teachable moment. So many players in this situation, understandably, would have not like mentally checked out, but would have resigned themselves to it not being their night after the first three quarters, right? Saying, look, I just don't have it. I'm working my way back. It's you know uncomfortable. I've got these short stints. I mean, the, the excuses would easily be able to build up. There was also some positive moments early. So you could say, oh, well, I didn't shoot that well. I didn't score that much, but at least I had a couple nice passes. Like the rationalization process easily could have kicked in for Zion Williamson. Instead, it went the other way. And that's what I mean by a teachable moment. You want to talk a guy uh, about a guy playing through incredible scrutiny, incredible attention, dozens of people there who aren't normally there from the media standpoint, uh, a very expectant crowd, teammates who are sort of trying to feel him out and see what he's all about. The weight of, you know, the ESPN, uh, you know, industrial complex, uh, all, you know, around him just kind of uh, almost consuming him constantly. And his response to those circumstances were to, you know, to step up, to take responsibility, to take the shots that were given to him, to play the right way, to continue playing hard, to not give up. And then to want to you know, go to his coach and say, let me you know, screw my minute limit. I want to keep playing. That is an awesome mental response. And it's something I've said about Zion for the last couple of years, really. The physical tools are great. The mental makeup, the competitiveness, the charisma, the moxie, that stuff is also great. And if he is going to hit in the ways that we think he's going to hit, it's going to be a combination of both. 
casual fans will always be able to see the physical tools. Uh, the more you watch him, the more you see how he plays for his teammates, the more you see his work ethic and, and uh, level of commitment, I think you're going to see that mental stuff come through more and more. And I think that's part of what has really drawn me to him as a prospect and as a player. And it was just really cool to see him just step up in that moment and, and own it. Um, and the building like could not have been more appreciative. So on that note, Michael, I, that brings us to my third question. Because what a test for the minutes limit idea, right? I mean, <laughs> here he is going nuts, can't miss a shot. You're flabbergasted that he's not missing these threes. And yet down the stretch, because he's reached his 18 minutes, the Pelicans decide to stick to it, leave him on the bench, go without him uh, into crunch time, and they wind up losing. A game that's very important for playoff positioning. Um, and it's a game you could absolutely argue had Zion closed it out, he could have helped them win, right? If you were Alvin Gentry, knowing the importance of that game, knowing all of the pressure of everybody wanting Zion to play both inside the building and outside the building, would you have stuck to the minutes limit or would you have just said, you know what, the last 2.30 or the last four minutes, whatever, Zion can handle this. Let's get him back in there and we can worry about whatever fallout there is from our bosses or the medical staff in the morning. Let's just go for it. Let's roll the dice. Like, What would your decision-making process have been like? As someone who is a total coward when it comes to uh, displeasing uh, commands, uh, I would I would have done what Alvin Gentry did. I mean, there were there were, <laughs> there were comments <laughs> there were comments made after the game by David Griffin on Adrian Wojnarowski's podcast. Um, I'll paraphrase. He basically said that the coaching staff was not comfortable with the four short bursts, and then he's out at the first sign of fatigue mandate. Um, but quote, I, I don't really care. So it was it was kind of I, I could imagine the conversations that were being had like in preparation for this game where. Uh, you know, maybe a hypothetical scenario is drawn out where, you know, if we're close, like, can we can we squeeze this out of Zion, blah, blah, blah. And it just it it didn't seem like that was it, it, it wouldn't even matter. I mean, this was like the, the all time scenario where you would ride ride a player uh, through a minutes restriction. It was an important basketball game midway through the season. They want to make the playoffs. And he was playing great. I mean, I, I, I will also say, like, defensively they were going right at Zion in the pick and roll and getting whatever they wanted so there's really no guarantee that they would have won the game had they played him and if you lose that game and you play Zion as as long as you did and disobey your your uh, your orders like it's just at the end of the day if I'm Alvin Gentry I would rather coach Zion for the next 10 years than get the win over the San Antonio Spurs well, it's nice to know that you're a coward when it comes to commands. I feel like I can use this to my advantage, maybe, uh, here as we go forward on this show. I'll have to I'll work on that, uh, You know, give you more direct orders. Um, <laughs> but I think, uh, I think your ultimate conclusion here, that they handled it properly, that there were some very real risks to the alternatives is right. I, I think that they, you know, I'm going to co-sign with their plan. Like, I, I'm sure they've put an unbelievable amount of time, effort, and thought into it, way more than any commentator could ever put into it from the outside. If that's the plan, stick to it. And I think that was my takeaway. I was impressed by their restraint, right? Sticking to the uh, to such a deflating plan in that particular moment when 
you've got to sell season tickets. You know, there was empty seats in the building last night. You've got to appeal to a fan base that's, you know, puts teams like the Saints and LSU football on a higher pedestal than the Pelicans. Like you have real business interests, not to mention, you know, there's going to be more attention on your franchise during that game than at any point, unless they make the playoffs this year, uh, you know, down the stretch of the season. Like this is sort of your coming out party to the world and to have the discipline to sit him down, it just impressed me, you know, and uh, I, there are a lot of front offices that I believe would have gone the other direction with it, potentially, uh, you know, putting their, their player in a less than ideal situation. And I just kind of tip my hat to them. Like if that was your plan and you were really able to stick to it, you passed the test. So good job. But I do want to flip this around the other way, Michael. Imagine you're a Pelicans fan, right? And you've been waiting for this day since the draft lottery and you have to sit through the Anthony Davis uh, trade request and then the trade and now you get Zion, but you have to wait three months. He looks great in the preseason, but you know, you never really get your full taste of it during the season. He goes out and puts up 17 points in a consecutive points in the fourth quarter. It's the greatest day of your life if you're a, a diehard Pelicans <laughs> fan, right? I mean, for your your basketball life, anyways. Maybe you have a wife and children, or a husband and children, and there's other you know moments along the way that could be higher points than you know Zion's coming out party, but arguably not, depending on the quality of your children. Um, how would you have reacted? Would you have done what they did, which was sort of cheer, we want Zion? Would you have booed <laughs> like the coaching staff try to shame them into playing him? What's your reaction in the building once you realize he's not coming back in the game? I mean, I'm super duper pumped that this guy is on my bas- my favorite basketball team. That's probably my reaction even after watching them lose. Like, don't be short-sighted with it. Take the long view. He's super young. What he did is just the beginning of you know, an extremely special adventure that we will all go on together. So like, don't, it, it, I wouldn't overreact personally if I was a fan of the Pelicans. I want to just real quickly go back to the last question though, and talk about the minutes limit. And one concern that I have with it is like, how long is this going to last with the, the bursts and the short stints? Because I have a fear, like, I don't want to go on too long of a diatribe here, but I have a fear of another team doing basically what the Bucks do with Giannis and the, the shorter stints that they play him on to basically preserve him and let him maximize in those shorter stints as opposed to playing normal minutes like other superstars. Like, I just, I, I really hope the Pelicans aren't too careful here and too cautious knowing that he is such a unique body and such a, like, physically... Uh, preposterous person that they they're not so sure how to deploy him so that's like a that's one concern that i have real quick i don't so know what, what you're your saying is like if, if milwaukee is playing Giannis only 30 minutes a night which is obviously denying us like crazy stats and production from him but you know for the greater good you're worried that maybe new orleans takes this to the next degree and we get down to like zion averaging 24 minutes a night and we're all sitting around <laughs> saying like wait a minute like what are we doing here like we understand you're being cautious, but like, can we just have a little fun? Like, can we watch this guy? That's what you're worried about? Basically, yeah. I mean, they touched on it a little bit on the broadcast about, you know, if you play a guy for four minute stints, like he has no opportunity to get his legs under him. He has no opportunity to catch a rhythm. Uh, I think Zion... That's 100% true, yeah. and you could see it. I mean, you could see it out there. But the, the, the flip side of the argument was... He couldn't even make it four minutes at the start of the third quarter. I mean, uh, ugly turnovers very quickly. 
that looked like fatigue-induced turnovers, and he looked tired. He was grabbing his shorts. He was grabbing his waist. So to me, I uh, I was okay with it for now. I share your concern, okay, how long does this last? But I also feel like it's fairly easy to ramp up. If he can handle four and he's not showing fatigue, then you push him to five, then you push him to six, and hopefully you eventually get to eight or something like that. Um, but you know, I think it it could take all of the rest of the regular season to get him into a normal rotation. You know, I, I guess that's my expectation. I mean, that's not reported, but I just didn't think he looked that great from a physical standpoint. He's dragging his leg a little bit. Uh, he clearly was tired. We didn't get a lot of explosive vertical movements from him. Um, you know, there was a couple, but that was about it. So uh, I just think he's got a ways to go. Yeah, and I mean, one last thing, like when you play short stints like that, it's it's just it disrupts the rhythm of everybody else too. And guys coming in and out of the lineup and different uh, units that haven't played as many minutes. So it's just it's a really it's going to be really just it's going to be really interesting how they integrate him over the next few weeks as they also try to make the playoffs like you're not just throwing him into the the into the pool and letting him play 34 35 minutes a night it's this weird uh you know the stints are just it's just very strange so i i'm very interested to see how it plays out over the next few weeks yeah, the guy I feel a lot of empathy towards is Brandon Ingram. You know, right at this moment where he's hitting kind of all-star level production, getting comfortable. It's been a couple years in the making, never really found it in L.A. He ha- now has to basically, um, you know, defer to a degree uh, to Zion's return. And then, like you're mentioning, probably have his own rotation or at least his responsibilities adjust in a fairly major way to accommodate Zion. That's tricky. Uh, and it's especially tricky for guys who are in rhythm and you know now you're disrupting it so it's for sure uh something to track and it's part of the reason why i was a little bit dubious of you know the computer model saying that they were like the odds on favorite to make the eighth seed in the playoffs i mean i think these are some real things they've got to work through on the fly it would be spectacular if we get lebron versus zion in that first round but i'm not uh i'm not taking it for granted i'm not penciling that in quite yet um there's a lot of other good teams competing there and most of those teams have figured out who they are. And the Pelicans obviously are kind of approaching this almost from an October mentality when it comes to getting Zion back into uh, back into the, the swing of things. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with a message from Mattress Firm. The only thing better than watching your team win is a perfect nap. And Mattress Firm's President's Day sale lets you get a king mattress for a queen price or a queen mattress for a twin price for savings of up to $600. And you can take home a free adjustable base with a qualifying purchase. But you have to hurry. The clock is ticking on this sale. It's ending soon. Isn't it time you saved and slept like a champion? Shop now. Mattressfirm.com. Mattressfirm.com for the President's Day sale. So I just uh, touched on this fifth question uh, that I had for you briefly, but how did you think he looked just strictly from a health perspective? Like, I guess percentage-wise, what'd you think? And then when do you expect him back towards like 100%? Like, are we going to see that this year or no? I hope we see it this year. I mean, it definitely wasn't there last night. You could you could just tell. We've talked about it throughout this whole pod, just how he was moving up and down the floor. Uh, it was just really, he was really conservative, I feel like, with his body, which is understandable. And the Pelicans training staff obviously saw signs of fatigue that influenced subbing him out of the game when they did and when they chose to. Um, he claims that he was not gassed before the fourth quarter, which I don't necessarily believe, but, uh, yeah, we've got the footage on that one. 
Yeah. Um, but, but but there were the, you know, there were the moments, like, the, the, the rebound over Pirtle was, like, jaw-dropping athleticism. I don't know how many guys in the league can make that play. Um, and, you know, he had a, a, a drive-in from the corner where he spun around Aldridge just, like, lightning quick, where he's he just defies physics with his body. So, you know, it's like... If this isn't 100%, then when he gets to 100%, he'll be even more must-watch television. And so I hope we get there, you know, within the next few weeks, uh, maybe right after the All-Star break. That would be nice. He can rest up. Um, and uh, that would be great. I, I, yeah, I think I, I'm more conservative on this one. I'm not sure we're going to see it till next year. Part of it could just be me betting against my heart, but that's I, I'm looking at this as maybe a longer-term thing. Some of it is just like relearning how you move. I've had that meniscus surgery. It does. I mean, it's just a weird one. You know, it's it's not like the biggest deal in the world, but it does take a while to kind of readjust mentally. He had told reporters on Tuesday how frustrated he was at times during his, uh, you know, rehab process, like wanting to kick chairs and stuff because he was getting impatient and it was just trying to get through it. And, you know, you get back on the court and you feel like, okay, that's the finish line. But, you know, as we know, that's not really the finish line. That's just kind of... Uh, you know, the halfway point to full recovery. Uh, two final quick questions for you here, Michael. And this is, you know, kind of a leading question from me, but can you believe that there was hundreds and actually probably more than a thousand empty seats in the building, the Smoothie King Center, for Zion Williamson's NBA debut? Can you believe that? Uh, yes. I mean, Based on everything we know about the general indifference that that city has towards NBA basketball, uh, you know, I was looking at some of the attendance numbers throughout Anthony Davis's career. The highest that they climbed was 21st. They were 29th during his rookie season. And, you know, the hype for AD probably wasn't at the level that it is for Zion for a variety of reasons, including just like the day and age that we live in. But AD, I mean, he was coming off, obviously winning the national championship, uh, playing with Team USA uh, for a stint. Like he was he was as sure a thing as a number one pick as you can get. And he's super exciting as well. Uh, so it doesn't really surprise me. It's disappointing for sure. And I hope that they eventually become like a sellout, a nightly sellout arena. But it just it, it doesn't doesn't shock me at all. Uh, maybe I should have been less shocked than I was. I was shocked. This guy is a national basketball phenomenon. Biggest story in sports yesterday across the globe, really, for, from a basketball standpoint. He sells out Las Vegas Summer League for a scrimmage in a matter of minutes, and the scalpers are getting in on the secondary market, you know, ticket market you know, boosting the, the prices up, you know, 300% over face value and all this. That's what I expected. I expected this to be something where like people were coming from far and wide to take in the Zion debut. You know, you could tell all your friends for the next decade that you were at his first game. The Pelicans gave everybody a week's notice. Uh, there's not anything else going on in the city right now. I mean, football's over, uh, you know, games on national TV, which helps kind of promote it a little bit. The arena is big. I'll, I'll give them that. But, you know, the, the excuse people <laughs> tend to make, it's like, okay, football, it's, you know, only eight home games versus, you know, basketball, it's like 41 games. And I understand that. It is hard to sell season tickets, you know, to get that kind of an obligation or that kind of uh, investment uh, from your fans. 
But Zion's only going to debut once. Like if there was one game you were going to go to all year long or your entire life, really, or if you just wanted to come in and experience the show, you're a casual fan or not even a fan, this was the moment to do it, right? Like compare it to a concert or any other event that might be coming to town. Like this is it. How are there empty seats? On StubHub, they were going for $9 and they still (laughs) were empty. Like, I, and I, I hate to be the person, and look, I try to be a good house guest, Michael. I'm not going to go over to your living room and insult your wife's face. You know what I mean? It's just like, what is that whack vase? Why do you guys have that there? Or like the art on your wall or whatever else. I, I hate doing that. I don't want to be that person. Obviously, we fly in, you know, from you know, different communities that might value basketball differently compared to, you know, football or whatever else. Um, so I understand there's cultural things at play but there is no excuse for there to be empty seats to Zion it to me it's just like a philosophical thing like do I just like basketball too much am I in too deep here Michael it just for the life of me there should not have been a single empty seat last night no I mean you don't like basketball too much nobody who likes basketball does like it too much it's great but I I think that once you take it to the road once they hit the road and once Zion is playing away from New Orleans, it's going to be a different type of atmosphere for sure. And that's brutal because he's a national phenomenon, but not a local phenomenon. You should all, okay, look, you should draw on the road. No question. That's great. You know, it's like the the world tour that the uh, Warriors used to go on, right? Where Mm -hmm. it was like the biggest deal in the world where Steph shows up. There's going to be markets that are just going to go crazy for Zion. And I can't wait to see that night to night but it's your home base. Like, you know, the people who were there were so excited. They were so in. And I feel like every person who attended that game, you are now like a multi-level marketer, right? You are now the word of mouth person. You need to go tell every person that you know that they need to get in on this thing at the ground floor. Like everybody needs to go to this game because first of all, the people who were there, I can't imagine they've had more fun than that fourth quarter stretch at basically any point of their lives, right? That was that. That's how <laughs> awesome it was. So I don't know. I, they just, you know, the recruitment effort of of Pelicans fans just needs to increase. Ben, if you weren't there last night though, and you live in New Orleans and you're vaguely a basketball fan, like, what is was it going to take to get you? Like, it's I don't really know what. No, I, I would, would not describe myself. Look, bottom line, I'm calling everyone out. If I, I lived in New or- if I lived in New Orleans and I considered myself a basketball fan, I would have been at that game. Period. There is no scenario where I would have been able to live with myself and consider myself a basketball fan and not be in that building, right? The arena's convenient. There's parking. It's $9. It's like 3 hours of your life, you know. I don't care if it's your anniversary. I don't care if it's some holiday that you celebrate. I I do not care. You need to be in the building for that. And like I said, I mean, I don't expect that every single night because attendance numbers really rely heavily on that season ticket base, right? I mean, there's no doubt. And so expecting that to just flip immediately. But after we heard the hype about New Orleans embracing him, how many jerseys he sold in the first 24 hours, how many season ticket packages that they sold and and everything else. I mean, it's been a, a struggling franchise from the box office side for a while, but... I just it I, my it blows my brain up. My brain cannot comprehend that there was anyone in New Orleans that that had nine dollars to their name that was not in the building. Ben, I gotta say, I'm honestly surprised you have not started to blame 
DeMar DeRozan and Greg Popovich and LaMarcus Aldridge <laughs> for this yet. Uh, I'm not going to go there. Look, I mean, I, I, I'm going to see the game tomorrow night against Denver, and it'll probably be a smaller crowd, right? Because it's not the first night, and they're probably not as big of a draw either. But um, I just hope that the buzz starts, you know. Catch the Zion fever. It, it's, uh, it's a good place to be. My last question for you is simple. What's the legacy from this game, Michael? Are we going to talk about Zion's debut like some people still talk about LeBron's debut? Are we going to remember the minutes limit part of it? Are we just going to focus on those four threes and just how wild it was? Like, are we all going to be sitting here saying, man, like he made four threes in his first game and he hasn't made four threes since like two years from now? Um, What is the lasting takeaway or the legacy uh, of this game. What do you think? When I'm telling my grandchildren about this game, I'm definitely saying that I stayed up until the very last buzzer. I was <laughs> there. I I never wavered. I didn't blink through the whole thing. I had faith. Um, no, I, first of all, I, I, I don't really even remember LeBron's debut. So I hope that you know, maybe I'm too young. Like, I don't even recall watching it, to be honest. But, like, off the top of my head, I know that it was against the Sacramento Kings, but I had to look up his his box score from that night. And, uh, you know, 25 points, 9 assists, 60% shooting from the floor, pretty decent. But I don't have any, like, visceral memories from it or any, like, they don't really play replays of it either. So... I would hope that this is a little bit more memorable. It was a little bit more dramatic for sure. Just uh, like the fourth quarter, those four threes, those will stick with me definitely. Um, But I also think that he'll have the type of career that will completely overshadow what he did last night. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the LeBron thing is just kind of lived on because of social media. People love to do the throwback. Oh, here's highlights from his first game. We knew he would be a star, right? I can see the same thing happening for Zion, mostly because that, you know, 17-point stretch is just so clippable. You know what I mean? You just, like, line those highlights uh, up, and he's the highlight king. And, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, you just say, hey, remember when Zion had 17 points in three minutes uh, in his very first NBA game? And I think the whole rest of it, the minutes limit stuff, the loss, all of it's just going to kind of fade to the background, and people are going to kind of cherish that stretch and and the huge crowd reaction. I think that's really what we're going to remember. A message from Indeed. When you start your hiring process, you may have questions. Will you find good applicants to choose from? What about education and experience? And how will you know you've made the right hire? Indeed is here to help. Millions of great candidates use Indeed every day to find their next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes and use screener questions to help create your short list of applicants fast. Also, add skills tests to your job post so you can be confident in your applicant's abilities. Their library of more than 50 skills tests range from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. Indeed gives you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and to be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at indeed.com slash open floor and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. That's indeed.com slash open floor. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Offer valid through March 31st, 2020. That's indeed.com slash open floor. O-P-E-N-F-L-O-O-R. It's just that easy. All right, Michael. Now, we were going to talk about this earlier this week, but we just didn't get a chance to do it, so we're running it back here. And guys, 
don't forget, email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. We will take your questions and, and uh, you know really address them next week. It's kind of an interesting episode here with the, uh, the Zion game, so we're not going to do questions uh, from the audience today, but please send them in, and we are still going to debate all-stars and all that stuff as soon as we get the coaches' picks and everything else uh, you know, coming out here over the next couple days. Now, Michael, I mentioned it was a pretty interesting stretch of games. You go all the way back to last Thursday when the Bucks played the Celtics. Uh, then the Bucks went to New York City uh, to, to personally play in front of you. Uh, meanwhile, I was down in Texas watching the you know, Luka and the Mavericks uh, and have a nice shootout with the Blazers. And then I also saw the Lakers just kind of dismantle the Rockets. On top of that, we had uh, the Celtics turn around and dismantle the Lakers. There's just a lot going on uh, all the way around, uh, you know, involving contenders. I think my first question for you, though, uh, do you agree with me that the narratives about the Bucks need to shift? I wrote on this last week for the Washington Post, and I think it's time that we really show them some major love, view them as this historic team, you know, on pace to win more than 70 games, incredible offense, incredible defense, incredible chemistry, cohesion, locker room. Uh, they don't have the big time second star. People will harp on that, but they have every other thing you could possibly need to be viewed as a title favorite. So I ask you, is Milwaukee clear cut the best team in basketball right now? And do you think they're misunderstood? Do you think that the knocks about them wind up distorting maybe the casual fan or even the casual, you know, the diehard fan, the average diehard fan, their perception of this team? Yeah, I've I've come around on the Bucks ever since they graced me with their presence in New York, and I was basically playing just for me, as you said. Um, Unbelievable! So you're a coward, and you can be bought. Is that what we're learning today, Michael? <laughs> come on, man. So, like, you know, heading into the season, I thought that you know, I respected them. I I respect Giannis, of course, and I thought that letting Malcolm Brogdon was basically going to haunt them. Uh, come playoff time, which it still may, ha- that still may happen for sure. But you know, I just think it hasn't happened yet, though, right? Isn't that an important update on that point? Because I-, I was with you on that. But don't we need to say like the facts are in to date, and it hasn't been really meaningfully bad in any way? No. Um, obviously, the playoffs are different than the regular season, but they are. When you go thirty nine and six, <clears throat> and you have the best point differential by five points. You have the best defense by three points. You have the second best offense. You are playing faster than every other team, basically. Like, And you have Giannis, who is just this unguardable freak of nature who's decided now to shoot those straightaway three-pointers and hit them at a decent enough rate that'll make you stop and pause. Like, It, it is a very scary team. I... I thought that they were too top-heavy coming into the season. I, I like Chris Middleton. I didn't think he was a capable number two. And, you know, I wrote this piece recently for SB Nation about Milwaukee's bench, which is, like, by far the best bench in basketball. And when basically Mike Budenholzer has adopted a philosophy that the San Antonio Spurs had forever, which is basically, like, we have all these guys. We trust everyone on our roster. People will 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 plug people into our system, and they'll get it done. When even when you know Tim Duncan or Ma- Manu or Tony Parker are on the bench, uh, like the the bench will carry us. And that's what's happened with Milwaukee. You have Kyle Korver, George Hill, 
uh, Irsan Ilyasova. Uh, these guys are having tremendous seasons. They're all great shooters. Uh, uh, you know, Robin Lopez has come in and he's basically uh, a carbon copy defensively of what his brother does. He's also shooting threes too. So they play these lineups that have, uh, you know, all five guys are off the bench. Giannis and Chris Middleton are not playing on the court. They don't stagger. And these units are outscoring the opposition. And it's like it, no other team is able to do something like this. So it's just like it's super impressive. It's very helpful for the regular season, obviously. But then you get to rest Giannis. You get to rest Middleton, who's averaging uh, 28 minutes a game. Uh, Giannis is leading the team with 30.4 or something like that. Like these are ridiculous numbers. So they're keeping care physically of their superstars. And that's going to help in the playoffs. And uh I, you know, they haven't even really had to tinker too much rotationally with playing Giannis at the five and stuff like that. But when they do, he's been super successful and everything's just kind of fit in great. They have enough shooting. They have enough defenders. A lot of these guys are two-way players. I, I, I think they, they are by far the championship favorite right now. Um, it wouldn't like totally shock me if, uh, you know, a team like the Lakers or a team like the Clippers beat them in the finals. But I would be shocked if this team did not reach that far. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that we should discuss their potential of winning the title more than we do, because I think there has been some hesitation on that front, including myself. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, Middleton needing to be that guy, it does wind up overwhelming a lot of these other factors where you're just saying like okay if it's him versus anthony davis how's that going to go for them if it's him versus paul george how's that going to go for them and they just have a different model and their model really really works if you want to use the spurs comparison i mean you know who is they had a lot of stars right but did they have a second super duper star for their last titles uh when they were just really really gunning in 2014 i mean you know, Parker was injured in the playoffs. Ginobili was could be a hit or miss guy. Kawhi wasn't really that offensive threat. You know, Duncan was the centerpiece of those teams, but it wasn't this like big two, big three model, which has been so in vogue lately. And I just think it's a reminder, you can win titles different ways. Same deal with the Dallas Mavericks, right? I mean, Dirk is, is a singular star. He gets great contributions from everybody around him. Uh, and that's how they wind up beating the big three heat. I think those are instructive uh, comparison points here because Milwaukee went 60 and 22 last year. In the playoffs, they started 10 and 1 before the the four-game losing streak against Toronto. As you've mentioned, this season they're 39 and 6. If you add those numbers up, it's an insane winning percentage. And yet what we do tend to focus on is the four straight losses in the Eastern Conference Finals. And that's fair to a point. But it's also just like not very representative of who this organization is over the last two years if you're going to dwell on that one week, right? And so I just think like big picture, even though I consider myself like personal hype man for Giannis, I still think I'm drastically underrating these guys. They have a very, very good chance of winning the title this year. And that's shouldn't be a controversial or you know surprising thing to say, but I just feel like when I'm listening to other podcasts or listening to discourse around the league or just even talking to people, I just hear so much hesitation about this team and I don't get it. Why Why are people afraid to say it? Why are people afraid to say, yeah, you know what? Milwaukee could definitely win the title this year or I think Milwaukee is going to win the title this year and I'm edging towards that direction. I, I don't know. I don't know what the 
the hesitation is beyond the points that we mentioned, like Middleton not being uh, an AD caliber or a Paul George caliber player. Like Middleton's very good. Eric Bledsoe is someone who we just, I think, assume will stink it up in the playoffs because that's what, like, kind of when you think about Eric Bledsoe, that's the performances that he has in in the postseason. And uh, he's kind of a bit of a question mark, but like, it's not like they're dependent on Eric Bledsoe to come through. They have all these pieces off the bench who have been really great. George Hill is probably going to be, uh, you know, he's not going to shoot, one would imagine, 50% for the rest of the season and into the playoffs, but like he has severe gravity. Cal Corver, the way that defenses, like who, Cal Corver was also, you know, we should mention not on the team last year. Cal Corver, like nobody has gravity like Cal Corver. When he comes off those stagger screens in the corner, like the defense just totally panics. And so when you play, when they play those lineups that they haven't really had to in the playoffs with Giannis at the five, Middleton, Corver, Hill, Bledsoe, Wes Matthews, whoever that you want to put in in that fifth spot, I don't know how you defend that. I really don't. And I think Giannis has elevated himself on the defensive end to be able to handle that role as that anchor. So it's just a really flexible team, a really dangerous team. They shoot threes better than anybody, in my opinion. And uh, I just, they should be the favorite. They should be. Yeah, they're a squad. All right, let's talk about a team that's reeling a little bit. That would be the Houston Rockets. Now, they did get a win over Denver on Wednesday night, but prior to that, it had been, I think, what, four straight losses, including to the Lakers uh, last Saturday, which I thought was you know fairly humbling and humiliating with the crowd giving LeBron MVP chance, the Lakers fans there in Houston kind of overshadowing Harden and, and, and Westbrook. Uh, I'm curious, when you look at Houston— and I know they're your title pick, and I know you regret that a little bit. We don't need to harp on that part. But just like as they <laughs> go you. into the uh, – yeah, no, we, we've been down that road. I've tortured you enough for that one already. Um, but when you look at this trade deadline, they have to make a deal, right? They have to go get reinforcements or they're dead in the water. That's the point that I've reached. Um, and it's not just because of that Lakers game. It's just because of the vibe around the team. Uh, it's because of just kind of the top-heavy nature where – a lot of the, the role players are just not that actively involved. It's because they have the lowest scoring bench in the league. It's because they don't have really quality three, four, you know, kind of combo forward defenders to handle the big time elite wing playmakers. Uh, I don't know, man. I just think that they have to go do something. This this group right now is just not good enough. Are you with me? I go back and forth, to be honest. I mean, it would be it would be great, of course, if they added Andre Iguodala or they added... Uh, Robert Covington, but like when I look at their weaknesses and I look at the slide that they had, it just it feels to me like this is a team that does not care about the regular season. They are effort issues, and uh, you know they don't get back in transition. They get gutted. And they have the worst transition defense in the league. They don't rebound with the energy and enthusiasm that you need to rebound the basketball. Uh, these are just they're they're. It's like it's a mindset that can change with the group that's there. And when Harden So put a finer point on that. Yeah. Are they bought in? Are we sure they're bought in? I mean, if if you're like in the front office, you're you're or you're, you're you're telling yourself that this is a flip the switch team. That's what that's what that's what you're telling yourself. <laughs> you're deluding yourself, right? <laughs> I think if they do flip the switch though, which I think is possible, I think that they can still be a super dangerous team. Like, look, you still have Harden. 
You have Westbrook, who is quietly playing great basketball throughout the team's struggle. And, uh, you know, no, it's a great point. He hasn't been their problem, right? I think the problem is more like Eric Gordon and the bench. I mean, the fit stuff I thought was definitely an issue earlier in the season, but we can't really blame Westbrook for the last three weeks. No. And I mean, you know, arguably their best five man unit, which is, in my opinion, Harden, Westbrook, Eric Gordon, PJ Tucker, and Clint Capella, you know, that group has been trash like they've been outscored by 40 points per 100 possessions so i feel like that will turn around they have not been able to even play basically at all tucker at the five with gordon russ and harden on the court like these are the lineups that they will play in the postseason and i have faith that they will do better in a playoff series than uh they've performed throughout the regular season the problem real quick is just like if you want to lollygag through the Western Conference in the regular season because you you aren't up for it and you're not up for that 82 game grind, like you're gonna get a bad seed and like no matter how you're built for the playoffs, like it's just it's too tough to go through a gauntlet if you don't have home home court advantage in the first round. So that's definitely a concern. They they need that for sure if they want to actually get to the finals, which I think is like still a 1% or 2% possibility. Um, but it's like, you got to flip the switch sooner than later. You can't, like, you just can't hold on and, and, and do what you've been doing. Because when you get to the playoffs, like, let's say you face Denver or Utah in the first round, you can beat them, but then you have to play the Lakers in the second round. Like, that's just not what you want. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm uh, out on this flip the switch idea. Um, You're just out. Primarily, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think, so, well, here, here's why. Okay. You have to have a strategy, a scheme to stop playoff LeBron, right? And that's somebody they haven't really had to deal with up until this point. And if you want to just say the same thing about playoff Kawhi, same deal, right? Um, you need to have at, at least two very good perimeter defenders to use on those guys. And then you also have to have somebody as a backline defender in that Draymond or even like, you know, one of the centers that Golden State has kind of rotated through as that, you know, backside rim protector taking LeBron away from the the painted area, which, you know, he attacks pretty relentlessly in the playoffs. So first of all, when I look at Houston's roster, it's PJ Tucker and then a bunch of other guys from a defensive standpoint that can be kind of rough, right? So I think they actually have to play Capella a lot in that matchup just because otherwise like where's your rim protection coming from and LeBron's just going to be too much for you and I think that PJ Tucker does a great job on LeBron and other big name players but he's not going to stop him by himself right I mean would you rather have Iguodala, Katie, Clay Thompson, Sean Livingston with Draymond behind them or PJ Tucker with Capella behind him or PJ Tucker as the center like that sounds very very exposed to me that sounds like it will just get diced up by either LeBron or Kawhi in the playoffs. So uh, to me, it's at a crisis, right? And I think that Lakers game kind of just like laid it out there. Like if he's able to do, you know, 30 and 10 assists, or I think it was like 33 and 11, something like that, just that easily without Anthony Davis, you are in big trouble, especially when he's doing that on your home floor. So I think it comes back to ownership. Like Tillman Fertitta, you were banging your chest at the end of last season, you know, describing... Uh, how you were going to win titles with Harden and have a big offseason and everything else. Like, yes, you're spending the money on Harden. You're spending the money on Westbrook. You did re-up Eric Gordon. But, you know, now you've got different matchups. Now you've got different teams that you've got to be concerned about, and you need help, man. And if you're going to duck the luxury tax again, 
you know, if you're going to go kind of cheap out on it uh, in this supposed title window when Westbrook's, you know, health isn't going to be getting any better here going forward and Harden's not getting any younger, that's on you as ownership. So I personally challenge Tillman Fertitta to go out there and make a move and address some of these weaknesses that I'm describing. I don't, but like Ben, like it's, it's just like, it's so difficult. Like I, if I'm looking at the roster, like all the contracts, it, it, we do, we, do this whenever we talk about any team that's trying to make a move right now. I mean, first of all, basically everyone is a buyer right now in the NBA, which is problematic for the trade deadline. And then you look at the contracts that you would like to move and they're either not big enough, it's either not enough salary or it's too much salary. So when I look at their cap sheet, it's like, Clint Capella is making $14.9 million. I would move on from Clint Capella for the right type of piece for a uh, you know, a, a lesser rim protector plus a perimeter defender who can maybe shoot uh, and hit an open three. I don't know what that package, where that package is. If it exists, it probably doesn't, or it would the trade would have been made by now. Um, like PJ Tucker, he's making that's a tradable contract, eight point three million dollars. But you need PJ Tucker in the playoffs, so you're not going to trade him. So it's just it's really difficult for them to to. To, to pull something off like you're you're no, you're talking about. I, I hear you. I hear you. It's a great point. And like they've they've kind of backed themselves into a corner because they've already traded picks in that Westbrook deal, which that is going to come back to bite them because the, that could be like sweeteners uh, to bring in you know a different type of player. But I guess I'm going to use a gambling analogy just to go straight at Tillman Fertitta because that's his business. Look, you're basically at this point you're down to your mortgage of your house, okay? You've already bet everything else that you have of worth. The only thing left you've got is your mortgage. And so you're either going to dig yourself out, have this dream, uh, you know, Friday night at the casino where you bet your mortgage, it pays off, you go home happy, and boy, it was really close, and you've got a story to tell all your drinking buddies for the next 30 years about how you nearly, you know, lost your house gambling, but you know, wound up paying off, and you know, just escaped by the skin of your teeth. Or you're going home with your mortgage flat broke, and you've got to talk to your family about, you know, why you're not going to have a good life for the next 10 years. Like that's where <laughs> they're at. Like I'm serious though, Michael. I mean, where is this team going? Right? They've they they never should have traded Chris Paul for sure. I mean, we knew that from the start. The you know, secondary role guys are giving them basically nothing. I don't trust any of their pieces. I don't think Harden necessarily trusts a lot of those pieces based on uh, the kind of burden he's still putting onto his own shoulders. I don't think Westbrook's making a lot of those guys better. Um, and they've got some real obvious roster holes. So whatever trade it has to be, whatever it costs here at the deadline on the luxury tax bill, they have to do it. And if it doesn't work, they blow it up in the summer. That's how I would be approaching the deadline. If he sits on his hands or if he makes small trades to duck the luxury tax, that's a tell, Michael. That's going to be another gambling uh, metaphor. But That's a tell that they don't actually believe. It's the tell they don't actually believe they're title contenders. That's my take on the Houston Rockets. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I actually don't even know like how you blow it up. So I assume when you say blow it up, is, is that including moving on from Harden? I mean, to me, it would be everybody but Harden. Like Harden would Harden and 14 new faces with name tags next year is the squad. <laughs> um, yeah, that's rough. I mean, I don't even know how you move on from Westbrook's. Like, I, I, I'm a firm believer that there's no such thing as an untradeable contract, but 
that contract is pretty sour. Like, I don't know who would take that on, how you would even get off of it, because as you said, well, they don't have the remember, picks. Just remember, New York and Chicago are still in the league, okay? Oh, like, there, there will be a way. You're going to have to really scrape. Like, there's no doubt. It would be difficult. It would be painful. But this is the, it's something of their own doing, right? I mean, this it's not like we should pity them or feel sorry for them or talk about, oh, how difficult this is. They back themselves in this corner. No, I agree. I mean, I still think that they have the pieces here to make a run. I, I, I'm i a big fan of Eric Gordon still, and he's working himself back from surgery. And he's actually shot the three ball pretty well since his return. Had a big game against the Denver Nuggets. As I said, Russell Westbrook looks even more comfortable uh, than ever before. He's only attempted one three-pointer in his last three games, which is, that's exactly what you want to see. If you're a Rockets fan, you don't want this guy jacking him up from the outside and settling when teams double harden. So, like, there, there is a, a, like a, a notable evolution taking place, I feel like, just in how they're playing and how they're learning to play with Harden. And it may, it might just be that, like, if Harden gets hot, for a month stretch like they're unbeatable i don't know that's like what you need to tell yourself if you're yeah for sure i mean he can play better than he's played this last month there's no doubt i mean i just look at it like okay i appreciate westbrook's restraint for the first time in his life but you need to be able to shoot three pointers in the playoffs right like that's going to be an issue yeah that's fair um and and also gordon uh he could definitely play better. I mean, I think this is, you know, he's near career lows, I think, in uh, field goal percentage and three-point percentage and, and scoring. Um, and I think a lot of that is just injury-related, of course. Um, and the more time he gets, I mean, that was a, a nice performance from him against Denver. Hopefully he can kind of build on that and give them a little bit better balance. I mean, he's just absolutely crucial for what they do. Um, but still, man, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think um, just being around that team and their vibe, they seemed a little bit frustrated. Uh, they seemed like, I guess I questioned their buy-in just a little bit. Uh, you know, whether the team still believes in the vision or whether they're starting to think like there's teams out there that are just better than us and we're not going to be able to get to their level. Uh, that is just, you know, purely my uh, personal opinion, observing them uh, after what was a, a demoralizing loss to the Lakers. Uh, but look, they got to go through the Lakers. They got to go through the Clippers. They've got to go through the Jazz right now. And I would take any of those teams to beat them in a playoff series. And I might even take Denver at this point to beat them in a playoff mm. series. And that's not something I would have said last year. Mm. Yeah, I, I can't go with you there because uh, on either – I'm skeptical that Utah can get it done just because of the, how they match up. And I just think they don't really have anyone who can defend Harden and Westbrook. And we saw you know, the past couple of years when the, they faced off Gobert has been pretty – ineffective defensively or, or relatively ineffective defensively in that particular well, matchup the good part is you don't have to defend Westbrook in the playoffs he just defends himself <laughs> so you'll true. be fine there you you do have to focus a lot of attention on Harden I think if you're Utah that's been the the trouble trouble spot for them yeah we'll uh, we'll we'll move off of this uh, I just want to say that when the Rockets were in town uh, in New York earlier this season I was having a conversation with someone in their front office uh courtside before the game and he told me you know, I asked him how the you know Russ was mixing in and what just the vibe was around the team and if he had any concerns. And he said the only concern that he has with this team is that they won't take the regular season seriously. And that is what we've seen over the past few weeks. So I, I still think that if they are able to uh, get it together uh, at the right time, uh, this group is good enough to 
win a couple playoff series and then make it interesting. I hear you. It all comes back to hard and being able to step up, get back on track and sort of right the ship. I think that's where their stability has always come from. And he's been able to deliver that uh, in, during a number of regular seasons. And this has been an uncharacteristically rough stretch for him and it will get better. All right, Michael, we've come to the end of another episode of Open Floor. And guys, thanks so much for listening and tuning in. Please help us spread the word uh, by going to Apple Podcasts, search for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. You can also uh, follow Michael on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor, uh, Pina. Uh, he's had a number of very interesting stories here recently, including that Milwaukee Bucks bench story uh, and, and a bunch of other stuff. So be sure to check all that stuff out over at SB Nation. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver. I've basically turned my Instagram account into a Zion Williamson fan account. Um, I'm also on Twitter at BenGolliver. Don't forget, subscribe to my newsletter, the Washington Post free weekly newsletter. Uh, the link to that is on my uh, Twitter page. Uh, very easy to find it. All right, Michael. Until next week when we will discuss discuss uh, all-star picks the coaches or sorry the the starters uh, the biggest debates uh, from the listeners the open floor globe that emailed us at openfloormail at gmail.com i will talk to you talk soon ben